The Future of Cities is presented by Katerra. Welcome to the Mission Daily. This week, we are previewing our new podcast, The Future of Cities. In season one of The Future of Cities, we do a deep dive into subjects affecting how our cities are growing and changing. Each episode includes commentary from industry-leading experts, including city planners, technology innovators, government officials, architects, builders, and more. This week on The Mission Daily, you'll get to hear the interviews we did for The Future of Cities in their entirety. Today, we're thrilled to share our interview with Grant Geiger. Grant Geiger is the founder and CEO of EIR Healthcare, a startup that brings modular construction techniques to healthcare facilities. He told us how healthcare will be different in cities of the future and how his company can not only decrease the cost of building hospitals, they could actually improve patient outcomes. He also shares why your future hospital stays will feel more like staying in a nice hotel. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to The Future of Cities on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Future of Cities. I am joined by a special guest today. Grant, what's going on? How's it going, Ian? Good to talk to you. Grant, if you could give your full name and title for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Grant Geiger, and I am the CEO and founder of EIR Healthcare. And so what are you working on at EI Healthcare? EIR what we're really Health- looking Yeah, what we're really looking at is, and what we've been developing is trying to find a way to improve healthcare infrastructure. And for us, that really means taking a look at specifically right now, the way that hospitals are built, the way that they're designed, and the way that they're run. And then in addition to that, because healthcare is obviously such a big, important part of our economy, number one driver of of GDP, we're also looking in places like outpatient, urgent care, and then also in the lab and life science space as well. Very cool. And so what is MedModular and how does that kind of correlate to the company? Yeah, absolutely. So, so MedModular is actually our, our first product to market and launching actually later on this year. And with, with MedModular, what we've actually looked at and what we've, we spent a number of years researching and focusing on is how do we deliver a product for the hospital space for inpatient facilities where we can look to improve the patient experience, the patient outcomes, but also deliver a better quality, a faster build and construction of physical infrastructure, in this case, the patient room. So we're, we're blending both the clinical as well as the infrastructure together into one product. So tell me a little bit about like your background and how'd you, how'd you get into this? <laughs> it's a good question. You know, the short answer to that is that I've actually been in the healthcare space for approaching a decade now at this point, but my background actually comes from the healthcare IT area. So I spent a number of years working for companies like Siemens and Cerner, which were dominating at the time the uh, electronic health record market. And I had a pretty successful career with them, both for the inpatient space, being a consultant, going around to some of the leading hospitals here in the country and helping them meet IT requirements around meaningful use and what came out originally with Obamacare. And then doing additional IT launch and, and IT initiatives on the, on the lab space and trying to figure out ways to build and, and, and run more efficient labs as well. So... My background, interestingly enough, has nothing to do with construction, has nothing to do with infrastructure, but has everything to do with technology 
And that's what we really try to focus on is what's the technology pieces that we can put together to make a better product and a better experience for, for a lot of people. You know, what's really funny is when I interviewed Trevor Schick, the head of materials at Katera, he's a software guy. He was in semiconductors and software or hardware and software for his whole career. And that was the exact same sort of idea, right? Is how do we bring all of that to construction? Because you're talking about in the semiconductor industry, if you have more than 1% loss, you know, everybody's fired. Yeah. Right. Uh, whereas like in construction, it's like, let's just not get over 60%. <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting you say that because for me, the light bulb moment was, was actually being at a client site. And, and you know, I'll never forget this. I, I talk about it a lot, but I was working with a client of ours at the time in upstate New York, a premier medical facility. And we were implementing new IT software and workflows for meaningful use, which was a huge thing at the time. And we're trying to implement the software and get it up and running. And, and they just open up this really nice new patient tower and, and all these things. And this was all focused around discharge instructions. So basically how a patient is, is discharged from the hospital, what paperwork do they take with them and so forth. And that's become a electronic process now. So they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this, this infrastructure, building this building. They spent a couple more million dollars on the software we had. But because none of that was done together, None of that was done in concert. None of that was organized. We ended up having to redo and re-engineer a workflow to be able to meet the needs for meaningful use so that the hospital could actually get reimbursed. And the funny thing, not for them, but the ironic thing, I guess, in taking a look at that was that if these parties would have simply worked together, we could have built the building and the workflow and the software and it all should have just worked together. When we left, that hospital was still printing out discharge instructions because they couldn't figure out how to get that workflow. We eventually we got them there, but they couldn't figure out how to get that workflow to match the physical limitations of their building. So that is wild. I mean, so funny enough, my mom was a discharge planner for twenty years, so I know okay. <laughs> uh, I know exactly the sort of thing you're talking about. I mean, I guess where I'm really curious is let's take a step back and just say what is wrong with hospitals. Great question. I mean, first of all, I think what's what's important to say is that. There's a lot of things that hospitals, clinicians are doing really, really well, and they're getting right, and they're getting better at it every day. So this is an iterative process, and it's continuing to, to improve. But what we are really focusing on, what we think is, is wrong, certainly, is the infrastructure. You know, there's a, there's a foundational element of the service delivery. The service delivery is care. But the foundational element of where you give the care and how you give it is is broken. What we see, uh, and this is anecdotally, but when we're talking to CEOs and hospital executives around the country, you know what we're hearing them say is, "Yeah, well, you know, I have a I have a hundred year old hospital. I'm going to spend a hundred million dollars on a software implementation from Cerner or Epic, and because of that software implementation, and I need to do that, right? If I'm that CEO, because I have to stay competitive." But if I spend that money, I can't update the infrastructure of my facility. And so now my 100-year-old hospital becomes 110 years old. And the boiler is 30 years old. And the roof is 50 years old. And so what we really think is that there, there's an opportunity there where we should all be working together to find a way to improve the foundation of care delivery. And that, that's really what we're trying to work on. We think that's what's wrong because the operating costs, the 
capital outlay to get it up and running, the time that it takes. You know, we were working with, and we came out of NYU's Blackstone Launchpad. And we took a look at NYU and, and others in the city. They're not alone. So it, this is across the board, but they're spending five, six, seven, eight years to get a 300 bed tower up and running. And so we're just sitting there and saying, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a way that we can improve this. What are other industries doing? What can we learn? And that's how we you know, essentially are here today. So what you're saying is these hospital administrators or hospital leadership are having to make an either or decision. I can either upgrade my tech, which I know I need to do, or I can update my infrastructure. And what you're saying is, why don't we do both and, and it'll be cheaper or at least a similar price in the long run? It'll be exactly. We, we like to focus on what we say is quality, speed, and, and integration. We think that what we're putting together and what we're trying to do with our technology partners is we're trying to take, because it's blended so much, right? We've gotten to a, part, a point now where if you take a look at building technologies, building automation, these are multi-billion dollar industries on their own. The physical and the virtual have come closer and closer together, and they'll continue to blur more and more. And so what we try to say is, how do we deliver higher quality, higher integration, and how do we do it faster? So that way we can, at the end of the day, what we're all doing here is we're trying to take care of patients, right? We're trying to save lives. We aren't, but the clinical people are. So how do, how do we make that easier for them? Yeah, I mean, I would say we are. That's exactly right. Like if you, I think in the old model, in the old, and maybe this is where we can get into some of the lessons from the past. The lessons from the past are, well, if Ford needs to make a car, they just make the car. And then if there's things that you want to add on to it, like electronics or things like that, you add it on. Now we know that those two things are blended together. And with the rise of the internet of things, every connected devices and all that sort of stuff. So what we're looking at now with hospitals is that it's not just a building. If you say, hey, we need a new, the foundation's crumbling, we need a new building. I think that that's the old way of thinking. The new way of thinking is like, how are these buildings designed to work with technology to enhance the experience of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then another factor that's driving that too, if I, if I can add, is the fact that the government has played a hand in this as well in, in, in the right way, I think. And that is in the sense that the insurance and the reimbursement angle of it has changed. And so what we're starting to see is that, and there's countless examples and, and the one I'll pick is, is in New York City, but the concept of having a central hospital, a centralized hospital that provides a myriad of services and it's all under one roof, that, that was a working model. And that there's nothing wrong with that. However, the way that the care delivery has changed, the patient experience, what patients are looking for, you know, for example, going from double beds to single beds, people want to personalize almost like hotel type experience, is that care is being decentralized on a larger scale. It's now going to more of a, like a hub and spoke model. The insurance and the, and the government is stepping in and saying, we're trying to reinsure and, and provide reimbursement based on you providing care closer to the patient, we talk about population health management, and that's a that's a probably a whole nother podcast. But the point is, is that we think that the again the infrastructure piece is changing, and it's not about the foundational crack, you know, and it's a new building. It's about the whole care delivery piece, and what can we put underneath it to support it successfully? What do you think hospitals look like in the future? That's a great question. I mean, I think you know what we are starting to see. If you take a look at 
Beth Israel in New York was previously a 700 bed hospital, 700 and change. I forget the exact number. They've decided to close that and they'll be reopening at, I think, 70 or 80 beds. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see smaller facilities. You know, there's a term in the industry already today around micro hospitals. And that could be something like a hospital in places like Texas and so forth. I know of examples where it's as small as six beds, which sounds crazy, but you're going to find that hospitals were going to get smaller. I think we'll continue to see specialized hospitals. For example, you look at what MD Anderson is doing around cancer care. They sort of exported their cancer care model. And I was actually just talking to somebody about this yesterday to other hospitals around the country. So I think we're seeing smaller. I think we're seeing specialized. I think we're seeing highly integrated. And they're only going to be treating the most chronic patients, right? We, by having that centralized hospital like we used to have in the past, you had everything from, you know, the kid who fell off a skateboard who's going in for an x-ray to an oncology patient. I don't think we necessarily will see as much of that except for perhaps in maybe academic medical center type situations. But I think we're going to see smaller and specialized care for sure. Why is prefab a great way to create the hospitals of the future? What we really think about there is it's the quality piece and the integration. So, you know, the example that a partner of ours always uses is that if you're buying a Mercedes or a Bentley or Rolls Royce, do you want to buy that car and have them build it and assemble it in your driveway? Or do you want to have them build it and assemble it in a factory, in a highly controlled environment, following, let's say, a production process like Lean or Six Sigma? So the answer to that is obviously yes, right? That's the way those cars are being built today. So what we think is the same thing here in the healthcare space. What we're trying to do is say, we're building a very complicated, has to be high quality, clean room and an experience. Do we want to build that on a construction site that's dirty, noisy, there's lots of wastage, it's not environmentally friendly, or do we want to do that in a controlled, clean factory environment? So the answer to that is yes. And the financials and the quality and everything stand behind that. So ultimately, we think that prefab is the answer for it. So what does that actually look like? Like dive into like, what does that, what does that look like? What does that feel like to the user? When we were talking to Katera about this, what's so interesting to me is it's actually more beautiful. Like using cross-laminated timber and some of these things is a more beautiful experience and it's cheaper. I mean, it, it really is like you can have both. I think they say better, faster, cheaper. But which is kind of similar to to what you were saying. But what do future hospitals feel like to the patient? For Med Modular, you know, we said we're we're launching and we have a showroom up and running uh, in September. So you'll have to come and and actually see the the product when you have a chance. But what we can say is very similar. I mean, what to what you, what you've heard from Gatera? I mean, we think along the same lines in in our own industry. What we see is that. And what you'll see when you come to see our prototype and our model is that it is cleaner, it's inviting. You know, one of the things we're concerned about, I think, in the healthcare space, which is, is different than others, is that technology, especially for hospitals, can be overwhelming and can be cumbersome. So what we're trying to do is technology adoption is critical, right, for, for the success of that hospital. So how do we create an environment? We talk about human factors engineering and things like that. How do we create an environment that's clean, but not lab clean, right? We're not doing research, but how do we create a room that's clean, but it's also warm. It's also inviting. It's cleaner from air quality to to floor, to build. 
we're trying to create this holistic experience because when you're in hospital, it's a traumatic experience. If you have family staying over, in most cases, they're sleeping on a cot or they're sleeping in a chair and that's disruptive to the sleep patterns for the patient. So how do we solve that problem? We solve it by engineering a day bed product right into the room that's actually fixed furniture that has multiple uses. You know, we're thinking about this almost like Ikea thinks about furniture for your house, right? So there's small little things we do. Another example would be, you know, rounded edges and corners for cleaning and cleanliness. So it's it's all of these little things that actually will add up to a immersive experience that we think, you know, will lead to a better patient outcome. So I think that this is so cool and I love all of that because I think that this is hard for people to understand. And obviously, you know, part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is so that people can can understand and, and see some of these things. But the idea that the way things have been built in a lot of ways is the economy car. You got your basic seats, which were created by the lowest bidder. You got your, you know, your roll-up windows. You have no auxiliary cords to plug in your stuff. You have none of that stuff. It's right. just bargain. That you could get into a luxury vehicle that has leather, that has all the bells and whistles, that has all the things that make you feel like you're in something amazing. And those two things cost the same amount to create is a mind-blowing exponential difference. And when you're talking about hospitals, like all the pain points that you just named, you know, people sleeping yeah, on cleanliness. Yeah. People sleeping yeah, on a couch. People, people cleanliness, yeah. rounded corners, how it feels in there, not not feeling like you're suffocated, not feeling like all of those things are extremely important to the human condition and making making our stays at hospitals as quick and as efficient and as comfortable as possible. That's a huge difference in quality of life for people in America and people in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you think about if you have, you know, use another example, if you are staying at a hotel, if you stay at the a budget hotel and it's not clean and there's some stains on the, on the furniture and, and the air conditioning doesn't seem to work. It's just either extremely cold or not working at all. You remember that experience. And I think in the healthcare space, because of the how capitally intensive it is and the infrastructure challenges that, that we have and the adoption hurdles that they have in terms of having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on EHRs and other pieces, a lot of patients are walking out and saying, I'm still getting that budget hotel experience when I go in there. And But you always remember when you stayed at that five-star Ritz-Carlton and everything was clean, air conditioning worked. It was a great experience. And, and we're trying to say we can do that for healthcare. You know, we can we can provide that for you. So and people who are spending, I mean, this leads to better care, right? I mean, people who are spending months in a hospital, it's just, you know, we're not built to be in those places. And it's a miserable experience for for people who have who have went through that. And if we can increase, you know, the quality of life in a hospital by 50%. I mean, that's you're talking about saving millions of lives, millions of people. You know, I I, I, I don't want to say. I mean, I do I do want to say millions of lives. Like that's what you that's what you're doing. You're increasing those people's chances to fight illness and to fight what they're going through, and that that's like pretty impactful. It is, but it's we we think it's it's fundamental. We think it's something that has to change. I mean, we take a look at 
cities and, and what this thesis is about and, and the theme of the podcast. We take a look at infrastructure and, and what we're trying to provide as a society. And this is the, the hospital is a core healthcare is, a, you know, as I said earlier, number one driver of GDP. It's a core critical part of this problem that we, we do need to figure out. We can't leave it behind. We have to do it. I think another interesting thing that you've touched on that Katera's talked about as well is this idea that hospitals for the past hundred years have been built and then added on to. There's always add-ons, there's always things that are expanded. You know, you tear down a wing, you rebuild a wing, you do all that. So fundamentally, even if they were designed well from the very beginning, the design is now thrown off. And everything is now thrown off. But what you're saying with what you're working on is that you're designing the entire unit and every single part of the unit to be in a way that flows all together, kind of like feng shui or feng shui. It's all designed to work together. Just could you like expand on like what is the importance of like designing it as as a holistic unit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for us, the the concrete examples and what we talk about is down from not only the MEPs and the infrastructure components that need to be installed and the sensors, right, which is obviously now a critical piece. But it's all of those pieces that are thought of ahead of time, but it's then going also to the things we mentioned earlier, the human factors concepts, the rounded corners and edges and so forth. And what that then, if you roll that up another level, really leads to is a thought out and planned approach that is what we think is adaptable. It's scalable. You know, one of the things that we look at is also somewhat specific to healthcare is that if a hospital decides we want to open up a new tower, the hospital decides they want to expand into, I mentioned oncology earlier, they want to open up a practice around that. By the time the board and the CEO makes that strategic decision to the time that that facility opens is it's tremendous. I mean, at a best case scenario, you're you're looking at with all the strategic planning and everything, and then the construction site build and everything, you're looking at over five years. We've seen examples of over a decade. And what I know coming from the healthcare technology space is that just by principle of Moore's law, the software and the workflow and the infrastructure on, on the care side is changing faster than you can build the building. So what we like to think about is that what we're providing is something that is adaptable, that is scalable. If you decide to open up a small, let's say micro hospital, right? And you decide to do 10 beds, we can provide that solution. In a couple of years from now, you decide you want to expand. Let's say you want to double to 20 beds. Okay. Not to oversimplify, we're not simply, you know, pressing a button and printing things out. We're not quite there yet, but although we will be at some point, but we're saying, okay, we can do that. We'll, we'll have another 10 beds ready for you in a couple of months and you're ready to go and you can do that expansion. And we can think about that when we did the first 10, so we can make this expandable and adaptable and so forth. And we have to do it though, with all the stakeholders up front and the buy-in and everything, but it ends up with a much better product for everybody involved. Well, and they know what they're getting. That's the bottom line is like construction. The thing that's so difficult is with all of the levels in the middle, it's very unpredictable. And it's a lot of times no one's fault. No, That's no, the, not at all. It's like a blameless transaction is Absolutely. each member of the chain is just a cog in the wheel. Like there's just a lot of cogs. That's just the way it is. But what you're saying is once the decision is made, 
we can stack, for lack of a better analogy, a Lego to another Lego. And the first one is 10 units and the second one is 10 units. And, you know, we have an expansion off the ground from decision maker to implementation in six months when it used to take five to 10 years. Again, that's exponentially better. And it's cohesive. It's a cohesive message. It's a, it's a cohesive product. It's a cohesive experience. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm most critical of is if you ever go to a hospital and you see something that's under construction and you go to the old wing and then you go to the new wing, you're going to do everything you possibly can to be in the new wing. If you end up as a patient there, you don't want to be in the old wing. And that's, that's a huge issue too, because I think to your point, hospital growth has been, and if a hospital expands, it's, it's, it, it, there isn't that cohesive factor. So, I love it. That's so true. That's You always want to be in the new wing. We want to make every wing the new wing. Okay, so I want to get into some smart cities. And this is obviously we don't know what it's going to hold, but the idea of you know the rise of AR and VR and all sorts of different things that are coming, how do you think cities being connected in the future and hospitals that are connected to that ends up playing out? I mean, I imagine in my mind, if you go on an app for your healthcare provider that you could have an overlay of the city. If you have a problem, you have an overlay of the city sitting you know, on your phone with all of the different areas where there are micro locations or smaller 10-person hospitals or things like that all over the city around you that's perhaps spread out through an urban area or you know, in various different places. Like, How do you see that and how do you see hospitals being involved in kind of smart cities? So like the two, the two things that came to mind while, while you were illustrating this to me was, was thinking of ZocDocs, if you're familiar with the service, great company, great application opportunity, I think completely changes how you find a primary care or specialist in an area, let's say in a city. And also the other example I'll give you is, and I don't know if, you, if you've ever had this either, but in certain parts of the country, if you're driving down the highway, I've noticed a lot, <laughs> sometimes you're going to see a billboard of some local ER. And I still haven't quite figured out the function of these billboards yet, or at least they don't connect the dots yet, but you'll you'll drive down the highway, you see a billboard that says current ER wait time, and it'll say 10 minutes. And you know, the joke I always make is who are the people that are driving down, you know, 95 or you know, whatever it is, the 101, 405, who's driving down the highway and thinking, ah, oh, you know what, the wait's only 10 minutes. I'm I'm going to hop quick, get off the uh, highway and have them take a look at that knee problem I've had. That's um, so true. Right? I, I know. I tell, it's totally true. <laughs> but I think the interesting thing about those two examples is that, and what you just pointed out, is can we get ourselves to a point where you have a smart city and you have infrastructure in place where you can take the patient who has a need, you can take the infrastructure and let's say, for example, look at traffic patterns and also layer on top of that the specialist or the type of care that they're looking for. And in addition, how about we take a look at the locations and availability of those specialists? And can we, can we create this total immersive experience where now in the future, I'm driving down the highway, my knee hurts, and I can look at something on my in my car, right? Because we're at that point already, if I have a Tesla, and I can say, okay, based on traffic, my need, and availability, I'm going to make a left here and go 10 minutes down the road because I can actually see somebody in five minutes, right? So, and there's no traffic that way. That's the kind of sort of idealistic world I think we want to get to and I would love to see. 
but I think we're, I think that's possible. I definitely think it's, it's certainly possible. It's certainly technology wise, it's possible. It just comes down to the will of people. <laughs> I mean, I think that we're in a very, in the very near future, it's going to be, you get an alert from your provider saying that you have an appointment at whatever time tomorrow that they've optimized which hospital you should be going to, to the one that's closest to you, that they could send a car to come get you through ride sharing. Better. You would not have yep. to park in a structure. In fact, they don't even have a parking structure because they, they have a certain amount of spots that they can do or whatever it is. You don't have to you know, fool with paying for parking and figuring that out and finding your way through the labyrinth of a hospital. They pick you up at the door, you get there, you walk immediately in, you go through, you scan whatever it is that you scan. There's no waiting in the waiting room. There's no checking in. There's no any of that. And you go immediately in, you finish your appointment and you go back home and in an hour, you're completely done. And I think that that is in the right areas with things like your building that is in the not too distant future. Agreed. No, 100% agree. And and it's all about making it a frictionless experience, right? That's what we're, we talk about is what can we do? And, and we take some cues from hospitality that they've already executed on some of these things, right? You think about SPG, you can walk right to your room. You don't actually have to check in anymore. And then you can just use the app to get into the hotel room, right? So what kind of things can we do around that that make it a frictionless experience and everything that you described is, is frictionless as well, right? It's, it's already thought out and, and there's predictive analytics put in to make that an enjoyable or at least hopefully more enjoyable than, than what it was before experience. I, I don't know if you've ever listened to Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, talk about the five-star experience. Have you ever heard this? Sure. So I have, I have a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So he basically, what they did was they did a thought experiment at Airbnb. They said, what would be like a five-star experience or it's like, what's a one-star experience. And then, so, you know, you show up and you know, whatever. And then the five stars, like you show up and they have your favorite food already in the fridge. They have activities planned for you. They have all this stuff. And then he was like, well, what's a six-star experience? And it's like, what's a seven-star? Like, what's an, what's a 10-star? What's an 11-star experience? Like if you got picked up by Bono in a jet, you know, they're waiting for you and you went to Tahiti and then you went from there to Prague and then you were backstage passes like, you know, and you had a parade coming back for you. Like that's what an 11 star. And then you go back and you kind of realize, well, I guess it's really not that hard to have their favorite groceries already in the fridge. But, but I think that that's sort of thinking with hospitals where thinking like hospitality things, thinking about companies who make people, it's their job to make people happy yeah, we're going to we're going to work more like those companies. We're going to institute their practices is really exponential thinking. It is. It is and and we've seen it, it we've seen that continue to blend. I mean, there's examples in the New York area of the hospitals there recruiting and bringing in folks from Ritz-Carlton and even from the fashion world as well. Uh, I think specifically it was with Hermès, they brought in executive. I think it was either Mount Sinai or Northwell. So there's 100% that happening. The partner that we work with in this particular case is actually Disney, right? So you look at the Disney Institute, what they do around that practice. You know, they call it a magical experience. And they are one of, I would say, if not the leader in, in creating a magical experience, right? From when you walk in to when you leave. And that's what healthcare is now looking at and saying, well, yeah, we need that too. And it's the same thing that, that Brian is, I'm sure, looking at and thinking about with Airbnb. That's great. I love it. Okay. So we are through our main portion of the questions and now we're going to get into the lightning round. 
where I'm going to ask okay. you a few questions, rapid fire. You got like less than a minute to answer each, but you're not on the clock, but you're on the clock. You ready? Sounds good. What is the app on your phone that is the most fun? I'm actually going to go with the WeWork app. Interesting. <laughs> because of what I and what I tell people about WeWork is it's it's the it's a technology. I can sit on my phone with a cup of coffee and I can see what's going on in I forget now how many cities they're in around the world, but I can see live feed conversations and requests and comments and suggestions and I can also interact and and it's so it's sort of like a hybrid behind probably my second or third favorite ones, which are Twitter and others, where I can have almost like what I feel is a pulse of the business and innovation that's going on globally. It's just at my fingertips, which which for me is, I, I mean, I find that super exciting. I love it. What makes a great city? Public transportation. I think being able to explore the city, being able to experience it, to feel it. You know, I, I did a road trip across the country a couple of years ago much in the same way on a smaller scale. If you have a city and you're able to see all parts of it, you're able to experience it. That's where you really get to see the people. That's what you look for. You take a city like New York, take cities like London. That's one thing that they do that they do well. We will be interviewing a few transportation companies that have some cool ways to look at like last mile of public transit and all that. So I love that answer. What is your favorite city and why? My favorite city is Berlin, Berlin, Germany. I'm a little bit biased. I, I went to school there and, and lived there for a while, but it's one of the few cities and there's there's others like it, but it's one of the few cities I think in the world where you have not only all levels of economy and background, but, and it's changed actually rather dramatically in the last couple of years. But when I was there, I always felt like it was this one of those few cities where you actually felt cultures actually directly meeting one another because of what happened after World War II, because of East Berlin, West Berlin, and so forth. It's one of those few places where you can walk around and you feel East, you feel West, and you can see it all the way down to its bones in terms of the architecture and the construction and the people. And so that, I think that makes it really unique. What's your favorite one-day getaway in Berlin? It would probably be actually walking around in the city in either like the, the Kreuzberg or, or some of the more artistic areas because... You can, you can kind of get lost there, much in the same way that people talk about Paris and, and others. It's a little bit different, but just to, just to explore. I'm a, I'm a big, big explorer. Follow-up question. What's your favorite one-day getaway in New York City or in the surrounding areas? Also a good question. You know, for me, it's actually it's, it's leaving New York and going into Brooklyn. I have not lived in Brooklyn. I have a few people that we work with that are, that are over uh, in Red Hook over by the Ikea. And... It's just, it's interesting because you, you're across a river, but you're, you might as well be hundred miles away in terms of the city and, and what's there. And, and you get perception, depth perception, you get some time to think. And uh, it's great to, to go over and, and, and walk around. My mom grew up in Brooklyn, so I know, I know what you mean. And then also Oakland is very similar to, to Brooklyn, where I live in Oakland, to San Francisco. So same sort of thing, right across the water and like in a different world. That's it, man. That's, this was great. I'm just so happy to, to have had you uh, come on. Is there anything else that you like to share with the listeners about the future of cities or yeah, or healthcare or. No, I think I, you know, the, the thing I'll say in closing is just that 
well, first of all, I mean, Ian, thanks for, for having us. I mean, this is a great conversation and excited to catch up on, on the rest of the series as well. But, I, you know, I think if I would, was leaving anything, it's just that, you know, people by nature were always, I think, hesitant and reluctant around change. And, you know, just challenge the, the people that are listening to think about the fact that we think change is good, but we also think innovation is better. And we're trying to find ways to continue to innovate so we can create a better experience for not only what we do today, but for future generations to come. So that's, that's the way that we think and we hope others do too. Thank you to our friends at Katera. The multi-trillion dollar global construction industry is ready for change. Katera's end-to-end team is joining together from different industries to innovate the future of building. Learn how you can join their growing team at katera.com or click the link in our show. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Notes.